Hi everybody, today's guest is Damien Cooper. Damien is a fellow lefty guitarist, originally from uh, Coffs Harbour in Australia, now lives in London. He's 47 years old and for the last 11 years pre-COVID he was the guitarist in Thriller Live. Me and Damien caught up about all things guitar related and much more. Enjoy. Hey. Damien, how are you mate? I'm okay mate, yeah, it's snowing outside, you know, had a coffee, awake. Good. Um, and it's very early on a Sunday, I must point out. It's very, very early. Yes. I've been, up, to try I've and... been up really. I yeah. was up early, actually. Woke up really early. Went to bed early. Getting old. Well, it happens to all of us, isn't it? <laughs> and I think everything yes. that's going on at the moment, that's, that's definitely happening to all of us. Uh, we've, we've tried to um, arrange this around our own lives. Not that there's too much going on in our own lives, but around our children more than anything at the moment. Hence why we're here doing this on a Sunday morning. Um, can we first uh, have a look at the stuff that you got behind you, mate? Can you talk us through oh, yeah. some of this stuff? Yeah, there's a few of my faves on the wall and, and there's a few more. Um, probably the real the good ones are the... What, what year is the gold top? That's a, it's a custom shop, 57. Beautiful. 57, yeah. Um, hard to play, but just oozes tone. They've got quite a big neck on those ones, haven't they? Very big, yeah. Um, I had it refretted with normal 61, was it 6125s? No, 6105s when I bought it. Okay. I spent, you know, three to four grand on it and had it refretted straight away like a twat because I don't like those really little frets, just couldn't play it, you know. Sure. But, yeah, it's it's great. I mean, it's nice to play that into the camper and pull up a Robin Ford sound and do that kind of thing, you know. Nice, man. Very um, nice. Yeah, I got Sir, got a Nash Telly, got a few tellies, you know, a few um, strats. Can we just talk about the Sirs? Because I've I've tried a couple of friends once and I really like them. Um, which one have you got and what would you sort of recommend? That's uh, I got that one for Thriller when I was doing Thriller early on about 10 years ago. Um, and it's, just, it's a 60s, 63, I think it's supposed to be. Um, with the Landau pickups. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're beautifully made, but they're like a, it's, it's like a Lexus compared to a Jaguar. Like they're very sort of generic guitars they don't have the sort of personality you might get from a from a just an open-ended strat or a good custom shop strat but it's great there's no dead points on the neck it's stainless steel frets i actually put some um bare knuckle pickups in it i changed the pickups which which made it sound more stratty which which i love um what did you put yeah, in so it you know yeah it was the um mother milk yep and uh the vh2 which is a van halen sort of medium-range humbucker, but it's quite straddy. My friend Marco Gerasi um, recommended those to me. I put them in. I sound great. Just changed the guitar. And, yeah. And that's been had the crap played out of it. It's just sure. been played so much on this show, and, you know, it's, it's been really reliable. Yeah, we'll talk about the whole Thriller thing uh, more in a little while. But, yeah, I mean, Bare Knuckle, they're a, you know, huge uh, i'm a huge fan of their stuff i've been using them for a long time and uh, i've mentioned them several times on here with them some of the guitars that i've used but I, I also talked about how hard it is sometimes to try not just with bare knuckle but with any pickup brand knowing what you're going to get out of it because it's always a bit of a, a shot in the dark as to you can only ever go on recommendation and description essentially can't you exactly i mean i'm sure they all they all probably sound sound great but unless you're a millionaire and you've got loads of time unless you're scott henderson i got someone like that you know, you haven't got time to, to really do that. But yeah, all the pickups I've had there sound great. They sound like they, what they say on the box, like the Hank Marvin ones, they do sound like that sound. Yeah, and that's you the know? craziest thing. And, and you can yeah. put them in 
in I've got them in cheap guitars. Uh, I've got a couple of Mexican Fenders. I've got a, a Tele and a Strat, and my Tele. I've done it on here. I've done a video on it. Sounds amazing. My Strat. Um, that's got Irish tools in it. That sounds amazing as well because yeah. that was something I learned really early on when I got my first Epiphone Les Paul, put it through a high gain amp, squealed like crazy, changed the bridge pickup to, I think, a Seymour Duncan distortion. And for me, it just changed the guitar. And still, yeah. I have that that outlook on, on guitars that you can hugely improve them um, by changing the pickups. Definitely. Yeah, I think that some of the ones I tour with, are just, they're just cheap. Frankenstein, not cheap, but they're, you know, normal bodies with souped up Callahan bridges and nice, nice pickups. It makes a huge difference. You're not worried about it getting destroyed. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. And that's where, you know, you can get, you can get a really nice workhorse uh, guitar and you're not bothered if it gets lost, damaged, stolen or whatever, you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Great, I wouldn't take the, I, I wouldn't take the gold top on the road because the next just go, yeah. you know, I've yeah. seen them fall out. of. I've seen guitars fall out of planes. I've seen it happen. My, my guitars. They're unloading, you know, from a small plane somewhere in Norway. You just see the, you know, SKB case, lucky it's an SKB case come out. If that was a Gibson, it'd be gone. You know? Yeah, of course. But and there's always a that strap, like, hey. where, you, where you sit on the, when you can, when you sit on the plane, sometimes when you're boarding and you can see everything being put on and yeah. you see your guitar case coming up and you see the handlers go to grab it and you think, please. They don't care. No. They don't care. Yeah. No. And, and at that point, you know, there's nothing you can do or say apart from just watch your guitar, you know find it funny enough funny enough i had an xfx um still got it 2xl and i uh, had a gig in denmark and they left it on the wrong way we couldn't find it we waited for hours and hours then we drove we had to do a bus ride for like seven hours again this i think it was in denmark and it was norway i think and it didn't turn up didn't have it the next day the gig is sitting up we're waiting for it to turn up they found it it'd been left on the wrong way it had water in it and it's fine it still worked i mean those things i'm surprised i've had it for about it's been in australia twice over the last six years and it still hasn't hasn't stopped working now which is amazing pretty amazing and that's yeah. the thing that's why those things win these days because uh portability size practicality over anything unfortunately and i know obviously having spent most of my life playing great big valve amps and stuff but they're you know you can't you wouldn't be able to leave a a, a plexi head on a runway in the rain no. and then expect it to work you know but that's what you get uh okay yeah. listen man we're gonna go back we're gonna go way back with you i want to talk about um what like what think. was it that first started it for you to, to playing guitar what what inspired you do you remember when you first picked it up i want to know like what was your first guitar who were your inspirations that sort of thing yeah i think um i was about 12 uh, 11 or 12 and I just I'd always liked music my dad had the shadows records and all sorts of different stuff on vinyl and and um I was definitely into music and not just I like pop and rock but I like instrumental music as well I kind of was drawn to that from an early age like muso music I guess you would say yeah and um I had a friend started learning guitar I thought I'd like to do that because I tried the piano I didn't like it and um you just got your typical run-of-the-mill acoustic and just from there, just fell in love with it. Oh, the, an A minor chord. Wow. E minor. That was the first two chords I learned. Yeah, yeah. And just the sound of those chords, they still sound amazing to me. Just the sound of an A minor chord and a really beautiful guitar, an E minor chord. And that just, I just fell in love with it and was, and was, you know, addicted. Like we all, all musicians become when they, when they, they you know, they, they find their instrument. And, um, 
you know, school went out the window and it was kind of coming home and just playing all day, playing on my lunch hour, you know, and uh, discovering the blues, I think, early on. You know, that was the thing that really excited me, B.B. King and, and um, Hendrix and Clapton and all those early guys kind of got me into it first and then a shredders sort of came later, Satriani and Byer and all those those guys, you know. Um, yeah, that was... Great, man. So what was that first acoustic that you got? What was it? Was it actually a right-handed one that you had to restring lefty? Yeah, I, I, had, I had about five or six lessons in a local music shop, you know, and um, I was, you know, I was already teaching myself more than a guy could teach me. And um, it was just some cheap Chinese knockoff, cheap, cheap guitar, until my dad got me an electric a couple of years later, which was an Onyx. Okay. <laughs> Anonyx, I don't know if you've ever heard of those, but it's just, just so. a cheap, just a cheap, was a white strap with a black pickguard. It was, I loved it. I loved it. And it was, and I started and that was obviously a, a proper, they made lefties. That was a lefty. Was it yeah, black? That was a left. No, it was white. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah, it was that, white. Yeah. I just remember when, when I got my first electric, which probably would have been in the late eighties, it was an Aria Pro 2 and in fact, I ended up having two of them because then I bought another one uh, like about a year or two later, which had a Floyd Rose on that one. But they were both black because that was the only sort of color they did, you know. That's a good way to start. <laughs> <laughs> so um, moving on from there then, like inspirations, you start learning. When was your first sort of, uh, when did you start gigging? What was your first bands, that sort pretty, of thing? Pretty, pretty quickly, yeah, I was probably only a couple of years later um uh, there's a country because i grew up in a little country town called mudgee which is sort of uh in new south wales in australia ten thousand people outback australia kind of thing um and there was a there was a country there's a fiddle player that he sang and he had he had he used to do weddings and stuff and he was looking for a guitar so he had in the paper and my parents were really supportive and they let me you know meet the guy on audition i got the gig so my first gig was a was a function gig on a wedding in a church, and then the after after party thing, playing like Orange Blossom Special and stuff, things like that. But just playing on electric, pretty badly, I would imagine. You know, and that's that's kind of where it started. And that it wasn't really me. And some other, I met some other musicians in a local town from that, and they and they started getting me in their bands, and I just started playing pubs. For the next few years, you know, playing rock and pop, and were these um were these paid gigs we getting cash from? Paid paid gigs, yeah, but proper gigs. Feeling. Yeah, I was, I was lucky. I met, you know, I met all the musicians in the town, and I sort of I picked things up really quickly. You know, I was already into chops and solos, and you know, but um, it did teach me how to play. There's lots, you know, you learn playing songs to swing. I'd learn a solo, you know, or you're playing. Clapton tune or, you know, Finn Lizzy. And that kind of was good. It was a good way to learn those things and playing, a, you know, rhythm guitar. And I loved it. I just, you know, it was, that, was, that was my thing. I stopped playing rugby and on the weekends because I couldn't because we'd have a gig in a town three hours drive away, you know, or, you know, and that's where it all, all kind of started. Do you think it helped coming from a small town? Like sort of it enabled because there wasn't many people there. So you sort of stood out a bit more and a bit more of a network rather than huge amounts of people in a city or whatever? Probably. I mean, I think I would have done better to be in, be in Sydney. I mean, I get, you know, I, I taught myself pretty much. It would have been great to have, have some older musicians that 
or guitar players that were really advanced and could, you know, um, teach me those get those early kind of things happening, you know, because I couldn't read or anything, you know, it was it was that was that was far away. And just trying to understand something, everything was via ear, you know, probably like how everyone learns, you know, you learn, you start learning, you're trying to jam along with the track, you learn this, you know, you start learning, oh, I can play this scale up here, but you don't know what it is. And eventually I realized I knew Dorian, I knew Aeolian, I just had to change that note there and that fitted in with that key and, and you don't know what it is. I didn't learn about it until I went to uni years later. And even then I struggled, just the idea of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. How does that how does that work? You know, I was sure. a bit of a stoner. I was a bit of a stoner. A bit of, I was pretty out there, you know. Right. It took me a long time to get my head around that. But yeah. um Yeah. What was the transition into um moving sort of going from the small town going from the gigs to so you went to university where was that and so i'm you know so young adolescence you know what was that all about kind of thing yeah i I was really lucky i mean i wanted to play music i didn't know what to do and a a friend of mine was doing this contemporary music course about 10 hours north of where i lived in a place called lismore uh which is a big country town near beautiful place called byron bay on the coast it's about an hour and a half drive from brisbane below the gold coast gorgeous you've probably heard of it lots of superstars live there it's lovely. Um, there was this course um, set up by this band in Australia, all the players from this band called Crossfire, which were based, they were like a 70s, 70s, 80s fusion band. And they taught this contemporary music course. It was a BA and it sort of covered blues, jazz, rock, Latin, technology, music history, music theory, all these kinds of things. And um, I thought, wow, man, if I could do that. You know, my grades were really low. You know, I was, I never studied. I just played music. And luckily, my dad, my dad drove up in our old car, took us up, did a long drive, you know, took us a whole day. And we camped out on a beach somewhere and he took me in for the audition. And that's where I met this um, Aussie guitar player called Jim Kelly. He was my lecturer. He was a very well-known session player over there, still is. He was like Australia's Larry Colton, basically. And um, I played him a couple of pieces, like a rock track I'd written, shreddy thing, and a version of... Um, these are a few of my favorite things, which was inspired by Stanley Jordan, but I couldn't play like Stanley Jordan. I was just trying to emulate this kind of thing he did. And he, he, he really liked it and he, and he, he got me in to the course. And I was re- and I really lucky and I kind of just, just got, you know, it all started from there basically. I didn't know what a major scale was. I could play it all over and down the net, but it was, it was you know, that's, that's where I started learning about what it actually was. And that was amazing because it's, it's like going to band camp because everyone's into the same thing. You know, everyone's into music. So it was, it was incredible, incredible time, you know, up there. And, Great. Um, le- you know, learnt a lot. So what was, so you sort of had the practical side of things. You've been gigging since a young age. Then you sort of, um, like, you, then you went on to study. So with all of that in mind, like, where did you go from there? What was the next steps? I was, I was, um, I moved to Sydney. Right. And I was, you know, I was a terrible hustler. Like I was, I wasn't really um, driven enough to get gigs, but luckily I, I had a day job pretty much for a long time. And I had a day job when I came over here as well, because I, I had nothing. But um, just started doing, um, you know, it was a function band I was in for a while that was pretty busy. And, met, you know, met some local players and was in little groups. So like, so little jazzy fusion bands because i was into all that kind of music love love jazz and funk there was a lot of that and um it was it was tough i mean i wasn't 
you know, I was working, but I wasn't like really, really busy. And there was no show scene over there. There's probably three shows. And I knew nothing about that. Right. That whole scene didn't really sure. interest me. I didn't, I didn't take up music to become a play musical theater. Same. Yeah, exactly. It's you just know? where you end up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So I kind of floated around for a while and then ended up moving over here in 2004. Right. You know, and, and luckily I knew an Aussie uh, MD uh, by the name of John Ma, who, who had heard me play, had actually booked me on anything in Australia, but um, he started booking me for stuff over here. Right. So I did, did my first show, did the tour of Jesus Christ Superstar in Denmark for a few weeks. I've never done a show before. And that's where that kind of work started happening. And that was amazing. Like, you know, I'd never been to Europe before. So I've only been here a few months and got this gig. And See, that that was going to be my next question. The move from, you know, moving halfway around the world and how quickly you were managing to pick up work. And obviously a lot of, you know, part of what you do is skill. Part of what you do is you know the industry and who you know i mean that's a that's a, a lucky break right there to be able to move to an a completely alien country but then to actually have someone look after you and give you your first gig which of course then you know that's the one thing you need to open the door to all everything else isn't it of course yeah i mean i i was lucky and it was hard i mean i was i worked a day job i worked in call centers and stuff and did horrible things alongside that you know, when I should have been really hustling myself in the, in the West End and doing that kind of thing. But I didn't know anything about that scene, you know. Sure. I was kind of really into improvisation and, and uh, that, you know, music, but I wasn't really trying to push myself out there as a commercial player. No. But um, working with John sort of helped me school those, you know, things. Cause just because you can play doesn't mean you're good at playing shows or, you know, exactly. you, have to be able to, you have to be able to do what someone wants and, and yes. um and, and so the, it was, the thing is, when you start doing that, when you start doing the whole show thing, you then, even when, you know, I've always been quite comfortable in my own skin, but when I started doing shows, it was like, I've still got so much to learn here. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I thought I was kind of on top of everything, but you don't. And it's because it's just a, a completely different arena from anything else you've ever done. It is, yeah. I, I guess it's... Um... I enjoy it for that. I mean, it's particularly, sure. I mean, if you're, if you're depping and it's, if it's your gig, it's like you can do it with your eyes closed. But yeah. if you're depping for someone, it's, and uh, that's, that can be really challenging. If you, you yeah. don't get to do it much and fun, particularly if it's a great band. And absolutely. Know, and that's why everyone can hear any, any note that's out. Everyone's like, you know, you don't exactly. want to be that guy. You don't want to be that guy. No. And you know? I was saying to a friend of mine who I, who I've just had on here doing the same thing. He's, um, he's an actor. But I was trying to explain to him about when you're a dep going into a show for a first time. It is, you know, one of the most terrifying things sometimes. And every the time pressure, the pressure, yeah, the pressure that's <laughs> it on doesn't you never get gets there. easier because <laughs> it's, exactly. it's your reputation. It's your reputation on the yeah. on the line every time. And you think, well, yeah, it's kind of like you're only as good as your last gig. Exactly that. And I think we judge ourselves like that a lot, even on normal gigs. You're always, even practicing, which is something I'm trying not to do now. You know, it's, it can be really negative. You pick something up and go, oh, this sounds terrible. Well, in fact, it doesn't sound terrible. It's just a gremlin in your head, you know, yeah. which is ruining the whole experience from you and stopping you from being more efficient and, and um, being better at doing that. But that's another whole topic. But um, Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, man. Yeah, but yeah, the shows, let's hope they come back, huh? You know, yeah, it would be um, nice, wouldn't it? Because... Um, yeah, there's quite a few of us would uh, wouldn't mind a bit of work from down there at the moment. Um, so you did that first tour, 
Um, so what happened after that? What were your next gigs after that? Yeah, so John booked me on that, and um, I, st- you know, I did a few little things here and there, and then another tour with him, another show, a uh, different show, a Motown show, and we- there was a bit of touring around the UK and, and um, went to Germany and places like that. And then Thriller came along, and that was a tour in its early days, about 2007 when it was pretty bad. It was like an Amdram show. It wasn't great. And, um, and then at that, because of that, I was on the tour, I, I got the gig in the West End, basically. So that right. kind of led into that. I got lucky, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And um, before that came in, I, I had started dipping in the West End. Pete Callard recommended me for something because I'd work with him on a show and very nice of him to do that. And that was kind of the leg in. Yeah. To, to, to do a show on the West End, which was really like a big deal at the time. He's a great yeah. guy. Great guy. Amazing musician. He is. Uh, lovely, lovely cat. Got a lot of time for him. Yeah, man, absolutely. And do you know what? He's the only other person I know that I share my birthday with. Really? Yeah, because we're both born on New Year's Day. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, wow. And I was actually... I was actually you, hung over it. you hung over it every birthday as soon as you get up, basically. Well, if, it's, <laughs> if you're not hung over, everyone else is, so you never hear from anyone because they're all hung over, you know what I mean? But no yeah, one loves he's, me. Yes. He's a good lad. Um, so the whole thriller thing then, it was it started as a tour and then it went into town. Yeah. Um, for those people who aren't aware, do you want to just give us uh, a quick rundown of what Thriller Live was? Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, all singing, all dancing. Um, I wouldn't call it a tribute show as much because there's, you know, there's, there's, there's female singers, there's male singers. There's, they're not just trying to look like him all the time you know, great dancing um, and just basically going through chronologi- chronologically just about his all his music from the J5 stuff all the way up. I never uh, saw it. It always struck me as it was more of a, like you say, it's not not really a tribute or a, or a sort of a, a biopic type thing. It's it was It sort of almost felt like it was more of an old, like one of those old school review shows. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's a very good way. Yeah, that's a very complimentary way of putting it. Yeah. So it spanned yeah. everything. So there's different people playing essentially his part throughout the yes. different. So how many yeah. how many people would play him in one show? Like how many? So you'd have you'd have a you'd have a kid. Um, you'd have one guy who kind of tried to look like him, who could do Billie Jean and, and do do the dancing and stuff. Um, Sorry, mixture of people um, doing it. Yeah. What was the um, outlook when it first went in? What do you, you know, because everyone sort of has these anticipations of our show, how long a show will run for. Yeah, I, th- I think they were expecting a few months, you know, we, we didn't know. And then, of course, he, he passed away. And I think that helped, you know, cement right. him in, you know. Um, but it was selling pretty well, pretty quickly. It did pretty well, I think. I mean, to be there for 11 years, it, it may say- come back... It may come back one day, you know, you never know. Um, well, I mean, it's a, thing, it's a simple, it? it's a simple thing. It's yeah. not, it's not this intellectually hard to take, concentrate kind of, you know, people can fly in from Italy, you can't speak English and go watch the show because that's the kind of audience you're getting from all around the world. Yeah. It's just, the, it's the fans, you know, it's a good, it's a good feeling. Because it uh, focuses more on the, the songs than any type of storyline or whatever, but also yeah. the, the, the bonus with those, uh, jukebox musical ones is that it's always a safe bet in terms of the punter that they'll if it's a, a show that they're familiar with or based on an artist that they're familiar with that's where they'll put their money you know what i mean yes 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What was it like? Um, I mean, musically, man, I'm a child of the eighties, you know, so Michael Jackson was a big thing for me. Um, I mean, musically, that must've been a, a great one to play. Did you do like, a, you know, any stuff like off from off the wall or? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. God, that album. It's the whole, the whole genre. Yeah. So, you know, lots of the best parts to play were the funky, the funky parts. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you just, you're just sitting on a pocket. Yeah. You know, and, um, yeah, be stuff, be stuff like, um, something simple like this. That kind of, you know, something yeah. simple like that. Or even just, you know, that's out of tune. Even stuff like Rock With You, you've done a thousand times. Yes. It, you know? But a great, you know, I love that stuff, you know. Um, um, Human Nature. Yeah, know, absolutely. Steve Luca for parts. I mean, yeah. John, John Marr, who, he's, he was the arranger as well. He's quite meticulous and very OCD. And he would work out, have to work out every little thing. You know, and was um, it for you to play it, was it, um, I often feel there's a little, you know, there's a little, sometimes there's a little differences for when you're given the parts and you've often feel, oh, I don't know if that's the way it should be. You know, was there some sort of middle ground? Were you happy with everything? Did you make any of it a bit more your own to how you felt it was more like the original? Not really. It was pretty, um, it was very much like the original, Great. the way it was charted. There's loads of dots. Um, yeah, you're really playing what's on, on the book. Yeah. You know, ninety-seven percent of the time, you know, he's very, he's very, very written out. Um, yeah. Amazing guitar parts. Was there um, a was there an on stage bit for you as well? Yeah, a few on stage bits. Yeah, so the beat it solo, Dirty Diana, right, and um, they don't they don't care about us. Yeah, they don't care about us. Yeah, so, so there's a few little things on stage. Great man, um, going out and rocking out and making nice. shapes and you know with all these beautiful young 20 year old dancers of six packs and here i am with my my beer gut just know? keeping it real man you know yeah I mean? it was it was very real i can assure you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um was there any so 11 11 years 11 years yeah 2009 when we opened in opened eight in shows a week 11 years eight. Eight shows a week. I mean, of course, I didn't do all the shows all the time. No, of course. Um, I was lucky I could take time off, so I was doing other yeah. other gigs and physically very full on to play because a lot of music, not much downtime. Yeah. yeah. So when you get tired, you start slouching and you and you you stop you start using bad technique. You know, I, I used to have a lot a few issues, so it was it was pretty full on. It's the funny one when you're stuck in that rut of playing essentially the same thing for such a long period of time. You got to have some sort of self-discipline sometimes I think to, to take time away from that and, and just definitely something else. Definitely. You know, because it's very easy at that point to be able to just get stuck playing exactly the same patterns and the same licks, the same. It's not rhythm. music. It's not music anymore. No, no this it is really it. isn't. It's funny. You know, and um, I can be quite difficult, yeah. quite difficult mentally, but that's, that's the job. And of course, right now I'd, I'd, um, I give my auntie's hat to go and be able to do that right now and play eight shows a week. Yeah, I mean, it's of course. Been seven or eight months, you know. Yeah, but Absolutely. yeah, but great, but great fun. And um, there's only a small band, six-piece band, a lot of stuff on track because they just, you know, to do that live with everything and all the horns, the tickets would be yeah. ridiculous. 
Of course. Was it just one guitar chair or was there another guitarist? No, John John was a split chair, so he'd play key threes and guitar two. Oh, okay. Right. So we'd, we'd do it that way. Um, and a lot of depth, so a lot of good players yeah. would, would come in, which is nice because, of course, it's, shows can be, when you've done a show for so long, even yeah. just having a different drummer changes everything or a different Absolutely. bass player. And, yeah. and I'm sure for, for my bandmates, having all these great guitar players coming when I wasn't there yeah. was, was great for them because it just, even though you're saying they're playing the same parts, it's different. You know, yeah, so. for sure. How did it work with them? Um, it's a pain when you debt for someone. Obviously, they're right-handed, but how, yeah, I like this bit of payback that you got being a lefty, and then yeah. you're having to bring their own right-handed guitars. <laughs> yeah, they brought their own guitars. I mean, we had, we had a band room upstairs that was full of guitars. In the end, it was just everyone had instruments there, and yeah, people so regularly in because I used to take a lot of time off. So yeah, that was good. You know, these yeah. days I'm turning up to a show. I'm taking four guitars with me. Although yeah. luckily things have changed, you know, you get these great cases now and get two on each. Yes. So it's not one on the back carrot. It's not a big deal. No. And one of I'm the best cases I've got, I've got one of those cases where it's a, it's a soft case that goes over your shoulders, but it holds an acoustic in the back and an electric in the front. Is that, that's a mono, yeah? Is it a mono? No, it's not a mono one. It's not, it's not as classy as a mono one. It's, no, um, or mono, mono, yeah. I think it was- When, for, I, when I had money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I found, I found it from- I actually wanted it because I was leaving some guitars somewhere and I needed it to buy so I could leave the case in a, in a pit, funnily enough, outside the band room. And I, yeah, I just found it from Toman and it was like, I think it was 50 or 60 quid or something. You know what I mean? That's cheap. Since That's cheap. Loads of them about now, mono ones and all sorts, you know, brilliant. Yeah, they're great. Um, so let's talk about uh, gear. So you use um, Axe Effects or use Kemper. What's the deal now? It's, uh, it was an Axe Effects on the show. Okay. It started out. It started out as a, po- a Line Six pod, and then a Vox Turn Lab, and then yeah. a Line Six rack, and then eventually we got to to have an Axe Effects, and I programmed it all basically right. each time, um, which was the fun. Um, sure. Try and get those. Try and get those sounds, and you have to learn the gear. Um, but I've got an Axe Effects, and also a Camper. I love the Camper. I'm probably more into the Camper these days because I just it's just so easy. Sure. Just go 57 tweet. Oh, that sounds great. I don't have to go dealing with any. Yeah, you know those Brit Brit profiles are amazing, aren't you know, they? Just, they just sound great. I I, I, haven't, I, I haven't I haven't popped into an app for a long time. I really I really miss. No, I know what you mean. Apps. The thing that really worries me about all of this is we're all falling into the trap. Even me, and I use I actually use a, a Line Six Helix, but it's got the Michael Brit profile. They're great. It. They're great as well. Yeah. Right, and and I've I've talked about it before on here, but it was just the interface and the whole thing. I can have it all in the floor unit. Great. Um, again, just for practicality, but. I tell you what, man, and this is what worries me about the kids who are growing up today using these things, is we're all slowly losing touch with speaker interaction. <laughs> Do you totally. know what I mean? Yeah. Because everything's yeah. DI'd. You know, sometimes you, you, know, you haven't got the opportunity to use an actual speaker cab and just to have that, that whole feedback loop of guitar signal coming out and you yeah. know, able to interact with the, the speaker moving and the air moving around it and all that stuff that, you know, it's a funny thing. Yeah, I love I love the sound of an amp. It's, yeah. it's you know, it's you can't, you can't beat it. But uh, no, it, again, it's just uh, sometimes not that practical. So you yes. used the Sir behind you. That was the main Thriller guitar. Then that was the guitar and Thriller. How many times did you have it refretted during the time that you used it? Hasn't been refretted. Amazing. Because it's stainless steel. Amazing. Yeah. And I played the absolute bejesus out of it all up and down the neck. It may have had one fret job, I think. 
but uh, the stainless steel frets are great. Great, you know, if, you, if you're playing a West End show and you can afford it and get a guitar like that, get stainless steel frets. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think they're a bit brighter. They have a different, brighter sound. But um, how do they feel? Uh, very positive. When you're playing, do you, do you notice a. No, I don't think so. I never really thought about that, actually. Um, I guess they feel fast. Okay. They feel fast. That's not particularly a fast guitar to play, though, I would say. It's quite, you have to really work it, you know. But um, yeah, it's hard to say. I guess different, probably. It would feel softer if you had, you know, normal Fender frets because they are softer. Yeah. You know, I, don't know, I don't know how to describe that, really. But yeah, so that took a beating. Sure. Has there ever been a time uh, over the years uh, that you've, there, there was a guitar like the one that got away? Was there ever a guitar you saw you thought, oh, I don't know, and you didn't buy it and then you regret it? Mm. Yeah, it's probably been a, it's probably been a few, but I just, I just, I just couldn't afford it at the time. There was a, there was a guild I saw in, Rare and Vintage in Denmark Street, Guild Starfire with a Bixby, Cherry Red, Lefty. Uh, the reason that was special because my dad's got one exactly the same that no he bought way. in the yeah in the sixties, which which was bestowed to my brother because he's a right-handed guitarist and of course I yeah. couldn't play it. That would have been cool to have. Yeah, had, had had some mojo, you know. But at the time was like, oh, I better not, you know. Um. It's funny. It's probably it? been a few. It's just it's just money, isn't it? You know, there's things. There's always there's always things. There was one that, for me. There was one that I was doing a guitar show with Marshall years ago in Birmingham somewhere, and there was like a vintage and rare guy had a had a stand there, and he had a lefty Gibson double neck, and it was like I think it was from the so Nest G is that. Yeah, like the SG, you know, the double necks, like the Jimmy Page type. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, it was yeah. proper. It was like the cherry red. It was the whole shebang. And I'd never, ever seen one in my life before. And they're in this huge case open. And I just looked at it and thought, my God. And at the time, and this is going back quite a few years at the time, he wanted three grand for it, I think. Ah! <laughs> I obviously, should have, never, should have bought it. <laughs> I know. You imagine what that'd be worth now. Yeah. You probably wouldn't have sold it, though. No, I know. Because you're problem, heard, hearing you play, like you're that's you know, you're such a rock guy, that's your thing, man. I can just see, I can see that sort of instrument on you. Just I'm just not, I, know. I, I don't know. I think about it, sometimes and I think how much would I, I have actually used it though. <laughs> I'm not sure I would have done it. <laughs> you need to it do would a Led just Zeppelin. great to have on the wall, you know what I mean? You need, you need Led Zeppelin tribute band that plays really well. That's what you need. Yes, then I could justify finding that guitar. I mean, you do find yes. them, you do find them every now and then. The custom shops seem to roll them out every now and then. But yeah, this particular one, that's, that's my one that got away, you know. Um, but I think sometimes, you know, like, yeah, like we've just said, had I bought it, it would have been a great investment. It wouldn't have been wasted money. I wouldn't have, it wouldn't have lost value, you know. It'd be, nice to, it'd be nice to buy something. I don't own anything really old. Right. It'd be nice to have something that was, I mean, you know, I can't afford to spend 10 grand on a 60s Strat or something, but it would be yeah. nice to have something that, it's like old cars. I like old cars, you know. Of course. But, some, but a player, something you could play. Yeah, you can take take out and play. All yeah, that absolutely. Mojo. All that I mean, it's mojo. quite quite nice that we get the things like, you know, your '57 reissue that you've got. I've got one very similar as well. Um, 
you know, I've got a couple of old vintage bits. You know, I've got a, a mid seventies Strat actually that I just did the video for. I've got a early, in fact, I've got a, a Les Paul custom that was made in 81, which is the same year. That I was nice. Born. Yeah. So when I found out, I thought, oh, I've got to have that. And I got a really good deal on it at the time. And I've owned that for I don't know, 25 years or something. You that know, must, that, that must be heavy. It's really heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Really like the heavy. Is that the black? Is that black with three pickups? Is that what that is? is no, that it's tobacco burst with two pickups in. And actually, right. I put bare knuckles in that. That's got bare knuckle nail bombs in that. Um, dude, we have. Dude, we have to have a hang. We have to come over sometime when when the plague has ended. And I'll bring. I'll bring over what. Well, that sounds like you've got more than I have. But well, you know, you know, this is the nice thing between you know you, me, and Terry. You know, think collectively the amount of guitars that we've got between us. So you know, it's crazy. We could have a right. I've had a couple of hangs in his little uh, studio downstairs. He's got some amazing, amazing, yeah, guitars and pet pedals. And yeah, I know. He's really, he's really into it. He's, you know, and he's so, you know, Terry's Terry. He's so meticulous, and he's got everything yeah. laid out. I Check this I'm, sound out. It turns on ten pedals, and there's this machine up here, and you know, it's all in stereo. It's in stereo with a dry run in the middle, and the room, yeah. you know, as we drink fine white wine. <laughs> oh, i love it man shout out shout out to terry yeah absolutely call him very soon yeah man yeah um great man well this has been a lot of fun is there anything i haven't uh asked you you about or spoken to you about that you wanted to mention anything at all uh not really i think we covered i mean there's been other gigs and stuff but yeah tell, you know, well, everyone, tell us about everyone's got other gigs um a completely different um band i've done for the last five years is the 70s band dr hook right and um dennis lecory had a lead singer he lives over here and um and that's just yeah it's really fun we go away on, on tour and been really lucky that's been a great experience we're all good friends great band and um that's a totally different play again it's like americana meets country meets 70s pop meets nashville nice and um, I try and recreate all this, all the pedal steel stuff, just with a volume. Sure. Try and get, try and get those sounds on stage. You know, that, that's, yeah. that, that's that's been a, a fun gig. We've had a bunch of dates in the book, but they've all, of course, not happened. But um, it'll be great when that happens. Great when that yeah. happens again. You know, and the West End. Sure. Hopefully. Absolutely. Yeah, man. But um, yeah, I think that's it. Mate. That's it, really. Just just talk about beer and wine. Yeah I, mean, I, yeah. We, I don't think anyone would tune in though. I'd love to. I, honestly, if it was down to me, this channel would be about um, fine ale and star Wars, you know, but no one's. Gonna... Yeah. <laughs> nice to talk. Thanks for having me on mate. Nice to talk to you and let's um, hook up in person. Definitely be great. When things are, things are safer. Thanks very much for coming on mate. Thank you, brother. Cheers. See you soon, man.